a Town Square Media of Southeast Wyoming podcast. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. On the phone, I believe I have Representative Dan Zwanitzer. Thank you for calling in, Representative. Thanks for having me this morning. Well, of course, the uh, the legislature recently wrapped up. Uh, it does look like we'll have a special session, although, and maybe you've heard differently, I haven't heard a specific date on that. First of all, just a general overview. What did you think of the session? Uh, the general overview of the session, I wouldn't say it was our most productive session in, in my 18 years. Um, we squabbled a lot about money and, and didn't really come to a whole lot of solutions this year, obviously. Education funding was the major issue going into the session, and it remains unsolved. About three weeks into the session, we found out the federal government um, was dropping about $320 million on us for this biennium, and it just uh, chilled the negotiations, really knowing that we didn't have to cut as much as we were expecting or talk about raising taxes. So was that a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, I, I think if you're in the education community, it was a sigh of relief for the next two years. We had, you know, districts saying they weren't going to be having, being able to hire any new teachers um, or maybe laying off some of the newest teachers, you know, the ones that we just hired in the past couple of years. Um, so short term, I, I guess it might be considered good, but long term, um, I compare it to we were at the cliff last year, and now we started building a bridge over the canyon, um, and we're not going to make it to the other side. So we have about a two-year window to utilize the federal money, and then we're right back to where we are, you know, where we thought we were three months ago, um, where long-term cost of education is just unsustainable um, without both some cuts and some revenue enhancement from somewhere. So... Uh, you know, we took it to the last day, last afternoon, and um, I thought the House was going to continue to try to work on a compromise. We got to about $80 million in cuts, and uh, the Senate just said that wasn't quite enough cutting, and it, uh, it just failed. Uh, the Senate went back and didn't want to send another committee and said we were not willing to cut any more than $80 million. I think some of us were, but, um, you know, the mood of two bodies... We just didn't get there, and there wasn't enough of a demand to have to get there when we knew we had $300 million plus coming in. Were you surprised that no agreement was reached? I really was. I, I mean, it was the most important bill of the session. We had lots of discussion, both publicly and behind the scenes, um, between the House and the Senate, between leadership, the governor's office. Uh, I, I really thought, you know, it was, I would say it was something that nobody liked 100%, but if we had burned through another $500 million in the rainy day fund as a stopgap. Um, and, I mean, it was really a day, a daily, if not a twice-daily conversation on what we were doing with education and lots of caucuses, uh, lots of conversation, and to get to the last day and have it all fall apart, uh, I think was shocking to just about everybody uh, who'd worked really hard throughout the session. Um, but I think the kind of the backstop was knowing we are going to have a special session in July. It right now slated for the 12th to the 17th that your lawmakers will be back in town the week before Frontier Days. So is, is that is that a firm date at this point, or is that still tentative? Um, I would say it's pretty firm. Pretty you know, firm? Yeah, the legislature has contacted all the members and said, block your calendars. Uh, 
plan on being here, start working on, you know, rooms and housing arrangements for that week at least. There was some talk about it going 10 days, but as we all know, Frontier Day's pricing for the 125th is going to skyrocket about that week before. So I bet we won't be in town more than a week, um, starting that Monday, July 12th, I believe. Now, just to clarify, is this spe- is this special session solely just to appropriate the federal money, or might other issues come up as well? I think it's all going to be all about money. As you know, it's about $1.3 billion uh, that's coming in for both you know, municipalities, education, um, assistance for rentals, for a PPP, those type of things. So it really is dedicated to... Uh, having some legislative oversight on divvying up that money. You know, we got $1.25 billion from the feds a year ago under the CARES Act, and we had, I think it was a two-day uh, special session and, and did some you know, very kind of quick cursory funding streams without a lot more oversight by your legislative branch and gave the governor broad kind of authority on how to spend that money. Um, we believe, you know, with another <laughs> $1.36 coming in, that's even more expansive that the legislature really needs to have um, a better handle on that money where it's appropriated how it's divvied up and we have a little more uh, certainly more time a couple years um, with the current funding coming in on how to allocate that and so we'll be looking more in depth about just you know the legislature has the power of the purse and we appropriate the money and we want to make sure we're spending it um, on things that benefit our constituents so yeah, you'll see a five- to eight-day special session to really go through all the federal money and, and start giving it up to appropriate places. Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Representative Dan Zwanitzer, who is good enough to call us here on a Saturday, and uh, Representative Zwanitzer on the uh, I-80, um, I don't call it, well, I-80 toll road proposal. At the committee meeting, the committee chairs seemed to indicate that might come back for the special session. It didn't make it through committee uh, I believe it was Representative Burkhardt, if I recall correctly, the chair of the committee, I think, said, uh, you know, the, we're not approving it right now, but this is an idea worth discussing. It might come back for the special session. Is is that a possibility or, or not? Oh, I think very much so. Um, you know, there's two kind of major issues that are just not going away in Wyoming, <laughs> besides everything else, um, is Medicaid expansion and road funding. We uh, we just cannot cover the cost anymore of the infrastructure for, for paving, for asphalt, for maintenance of our roadways. Uh, we had a nine-cent gas tax increase bill that was a non-starter to many of the new members um, who, you know, made no taxation pledges or a campaign that they would not raise the gas tax, and we didn't really even have enough votes to introduce that. And that the, it just gets more expensive every year. So uh, I do think you'll see... If uh, tolling is the right answer, or if a gas tax is the right answer, right? They even threw out that road usage charge, uh, which was a complete non-starter, but it got everybody riled up about that we're going to start tracking mileage on vehicles. So ultimately, I mean, we don't have the funding to maintain our roads. I, I think if people have looked at the Six Penny Project for just Laramie County, so many of them deal with just basic road infrastructure. We already have you know one penny dedicated to to roads, our fifth penny. And that's not covering the cost right now. And the state's not helping out. So, you know, the county commissioners are taking the sixth penny to see if they can, you know, fill that existing gap. But it's just going to widen every year until we either close some roadways or find a better uh, structure on how to pay for, pay for our highways. And so a lot of people believe tolling, 
I-80 is the right answer. It doesn't raise the gas tax, um, but allows us the revenue for all of those trucks coming through Wyoming uh, to, to try to get some of that revenue back to keep I-80 uh, intact. It's just an expensive interstate. for. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. On the phone, I have Representative Dan Zwanitzer of uh, Laramie County. We're talking about uh, the recently concluded uh, general session of the legislature as well as the upcoming special session uh, that looks like it's scheduled to start July 12th now. Uh, Representative, you hit on one of the other big issues, Medicaid expansion. That actually made it further than it's ever made it before, I believe. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you did vote for that in the House. Um, This is not an issue that's going away either, is it? I I just don't believe so. I mean, it's been around now for nine years. Um, You know, Idaho and Montana recently passed it. Oklahoma even got it. And it, I mean, if anybody tells you it's a, silver bullet it certainly isn't but it it they uh i guess the nice thing about the federal government even though i have no idea how they're paying for it um did give us you know some assurances and uh i could even call it like a sweetheart deal that if we passed it you know we would um, not be on the hook for uh, the money for at least a couple of years for that you know 10 million portion of Wyoming. um and so i think that's what really helped propel it through the house that at this point you know we're we're utilizing other federal monies um, and workforce services and, and social security disability payments um, to, to fund what Medicaid expansion would cover. So, you know, Wyoming, just, you know, we're the least populated state. We're demographically older, have higher rates of drinking and smoking, um, and just less um, quality health care because of our rural nature. And so for a state like Wyoming, you know, I just... It makes sense. It makes sense on par um, for some of our communities to, to help some of our citizens. And so, I think uh, those talking points and, and just knowing that it's not going away. Right under the Obama administration, we had the Trump administration. Um, it just didn't go away. And so, I guess once majority of the House members realized, hey, it's here to stay. They're giving us you know 20 million in free money, even though we would probably be on the hook for it here in a couple of years. Uh, with everything going on with COVID, it did get to the House this year and then um, didn't make it through a Senate committee. And so there's a lot of people. There's a uh, The Revenue Committee is going to study it again next month and decide if they want to bring it back during special session. I don't know if they have the votes to do so or if they have the desire, but it is certainly being talked about as another potential issue during special session in July. What would make anyone think, though, that if it didn't get through the the general session with the same makeup of the legislature, it might get through now? Do you think there's enough people who might be swung to uh, to vote the other way on this, or what are your thoughts on it? You know, um, I think it is just a learning curve. I mean, there's a lot of people who are certainly against it, and I, you know, the, we I understand the arguments, and I, I think most of them are correct um, that it is not it is kind of free federal money and. It affects able working adults, and there will be some some waste and fraud and abuse of the system. Um, but on par, I do think it helps. And I that communicating that message, it got kind of confusing this year. Um, there are a lot of people talking about Montana and what had happened up there and how uh, it had really hurt Montana, even though a lot of the, the Montana Hospital Association and other people from Montana said none of that was true. Um, so there's just a lot of outside influences coming into Wyoming. You know, there's certain ideologies that are completely against Medicaid expansion. 
which I appreciate. And I've, I, you know, as a former and now current chairman of the insurance committee, <clears throat> a lot of them have are, are totally spot on. But uh, I think it's the belief that more education, when you really look at Wyoming's demographics and how we're really just supplanting funds from one pot to another pot, um, you know, I, I believe certain House members think that that education component of really letting some of the newly elected uh, legislators get both sides of the story and look at the numbers that they're going to come around. I don't know if that's true or not, but um, it is one of those issues that, as I said, I don't think is going away and we can keep fighting about it for another decade, but uh, I think it's here to stay at this point until we, we jump on. I think there are eight states left now who haven't joined. We're the only ones in the Rocky Mountain West. One of the big arguments against it, and I know you've heard this probably numerous times, is that although roughly 24 to 25,000 Wyoming residents uh, are projected to get coverage through this, there's a fear that the actual numbers would be a lot larger than that. We'd get stuck with the bill. How do you respond to that? Um, and I think that 24,000 really is the right number now that we've studied it. Um, those people who've been around the discussion, five or six years ago, we were estimating 17,000. And so based on, you know, the sheer numbers of people that came of what we call the out of the woodwork population, we have revised our estimates up to, I think, around 24,000 Wyomingites. So I, I do think that number is actually the correct number with, you know, all of the data that we've been studying for 10 years now. But I do remember a decade ago it was 17,000. So, um, and they were correct. You no, know, when you start allowing able-bodied adults access to medical care so they're not looking to jobs they're going to take advantage of it and a lot of people have been putting off their health care um you know who have their first advantage to you know get health care when they haven't seen a physician in 10 years they take it and i don't know if people were expecting that to happen originally but that that has been taken into account and now that's why the revised figure of 24 25 000. okay I'm... a huge number right it's 10 percent of our working population um which should scare people that you know we have that. I mean, we have more than that who don't have health care in the state. But yeah, the, there are those who argue though that we shouldn't pay for for uh, able-bodied people to get health care. How do you respond to that? I completely agree. And then, as I said, you know, those talking points I think are totally accurate. There is going to be abuse and waste and some fraud um, as part of the system. And, and, and it just we've seen it in other states. It'll happen here if we do pass Medicaid expansion. Um, but, you know, there's another segment of people that it does affect who, you know, desperately need it for them and their families uh, who are working multiple jobs. And I, it, it, it reduces, now that I work at a hospital, um, uncompensated care, debt care, charity care. And so in many ways, I think it just funnels money around. The scariest statistic I've heard lately, though, um, when you, our census report came out, right, we've gained only 2.3% population in a decade which is for the state, for Wyoming or for Laramie County, looks about 9%. So we're actually doing stuff right here. But the projections show that, you know, we're going to gain 50,000 people in the next 20 years. And the demographics, all those people are going to be over the age of 60. So we have some serious work cut out for us because it says, I mean, the, the demographic projections show in 15 years, less than half the population will be in the workforce. Either they'll be you know, over retiree age or school age. And so we have some challenges ahead on trying to figure out how to keep our economy going and um, with, well, keeping our tax base low. How are we going to fund anything if that's the case, though? That's, that's a tremendous load on the working population. It is. I, and I don't think your legislature has a good answer for that. 
Um, we're just kind of watching the studies come in, and it's looking increasingly bleak. Uh, the one positive news is oil prices have gone skyrocketing back up. I think they're at $63 um, dollars at um, Henry Ho or at uh, WTI this week. And so, I mean, the good news is our economy is getting better. Um, and since oil prices are in the 60s, that's money that we did not expect to be, you know, in this year. It's coming in. And so I don't think we're going to have to cut anymore. As you know, we cut about 300 positions out of state government. Um, we're down under under 8,000 state government positions in Wyoming. You know, we had a time where we were up to like 9,400. So the good news is I think for the next year we're not cutting anymore, um, even when the federal funds go away. But we have, we have real challenges on, you know, 10 years from now, how to keep our economy going because um, coal, oil, and gas, I think people realize long-term it's not sustainable like it was 50 years ago. And so even your Republican-dominated legislature has to, you know, I was looking at that reality and saying, what can we do to shift our economy to get the most out of coal and our natural resources, try to find innovative ways to keep coal going. But we got to start figuring out how we're going to meet our demographic change in 15 years. With coal probably, according to most people, and there are people who would argue this, but coal probably not ever coming back to where it was, how are we going to pay for capital construction for schools in the future? Uh, the honest answer is we don't know. Um, some of that will be from oil revenue. But, you know, now that the environmentalists have come after coal, oil is going to be next in the next generation. And so fossil fuels um, are just going to increasingly be under attack. We've seen that from the Biden administration, and there's no reason to believe um, that that's going away. So yeah, Wyoming has relied on being a mineral state for a long time. We're looking at ways to continue to being an electricity state, either through solar or wind. Um, but we're going to try to get as much out of coal and keep... That's what pays our taxes in Wyoming is coal and oil. Regardless of people like it, that's what keeps people employed and keeps you know, our, our government funding uh, historically stable. So when people complain, you know, why are we sticking to coal? Well, nobody wants to raise taxes on anything else. And so keeping coal around as long as possible has been kind of a legislative focus to try to, as much as we can ride that horse, we're going to ride it. So. There is no good answer about what we're doing in 15 years that I've heard legislatively, um, but it, it's going to be finding economic diversification, a new industry, finding a way to make cleaner electricity through coal. I mean, we're exploring all avenues, um, but there's a lot of challenges in any avenue we're taking, and that's just part of public policy, right? Do you think a state income tax is inevitable at some point? Um, you know, I think when push comes to shove, having a graduated income tax. We actually, the Revenue Committee looked at just taxing those who make more than a million dollars a year. I, I think that is actually a very feasible option. There's only 800 um, households in Wyoming who make over that, and it would bring in over 100 million. Um, most of 94% of that, I believe, is in Teton County. It's uh, the billionaires who continue to move into one portion of Wyoming, um, and they're getting a whole lot of services and tax breaks without paying their fair share. So. I'm one of those people that I'm okay with an income tax if it only, you know, affected over a certain threshold. Um, and I, I do think that's fair from the benefit that a lot of the, you know, ultra millionaires make. Do I think it's inevitable? No, I think we would raise a sales tax first, maybe the property tax. Some people believe that any income tax will start the, the camel's nose under the tent and, you know, impact everyone eventually. But we have to find another revenue source, either through natural resources, 
you know, non or renewable resources or taxation or something else we haven't come up with yet. Um, but yeah, Wyoming can't rely on coal like it has for the past five generations much longer. You know, some people are predicting by 2030, coal will be less than you know four percent of the grid. So it's scary. Now, as you know, speaking of an income tax, there has been in past sessions a proposal for a corporate income tax, uh, specifically targeting large out-of-state companies. That actually had some support. Um, it went down. Is that idea dead forever or not? No, I don't think so. It went down by two votes, roughly, in the Senate. You know, Wyoming and South Dakota are the only two states that don't have some type of corporate income tax or gross receipts tax. Um, and there is. There's just some of those multi-million dollar big box shops that make money off Wyomingites. We pay the same prices at our Walmart or Target that they pay in New York City, uh, which doesn't make sense. And that, that revenue does not get shared with Wyoming. And so there are you know economists in the legislature who believe that putting on a corporate income tax would not actually raise the price of the goods that we buy um, in those corporate stores and would contribute somewhere between study shows 30 to 50 million dollars a year um, into our coffers and so I don't think the, that issue is dead I think a corporate income tax may be the, the easiest and most painless way of raising taxes that would not affect you know, the everyday citizen of the state but again corporate income tax it sounds very scary because there are people who believe a corporate income tax is one step closer to a personal income tax in terms of going forward, as, as you know, basically tax uh, proposals this session just didn't make it through. At, at some point, though, we're going to have to approve some, some new taxes somewhere, aren't we? I think so. I mean, we, you know, it's, we've been preaching Armageddon for a couple of years. This, it was coming to a head this year, and then we got $1.25 billion in the CARES Act, and now another $1.36 billion from the feds. That are it's really it's saving all of our bacon right now, uh, plus some oil prices going up. But that federal money has got to run out sometime, and when it runs out, I mean, I, I think it's going to be even twice as bad. There won't be any federal money, and the feds will be so far in debt they're going to start taking away state programs and state aid, uh, which will put us in a double spiral. So, I, I don't know what the answer. The great news is we've built up our accounts, our permanent mineral trust fund, our rainy day fund. You know, 30% of the budget almost is coming off interest from those accounts. Um, and so I think we have guaranteed that Wyoming will be a, a low-tax state no matter what. But, you know, we could raise the sales tax one cent, uh, our property, personal property tax one percent, and still be in the bottom three um, tax states in the country. So it, if you look at property in Nebraska and South Dakota, our surrounding states, it's crazy the taxes they pay double in South Dakota for what Wyoming pays. So I do think there is a little bit of room without a lot of harm for a small level of taxation that's broadly applied across, you know, everyone. Um, but the good news is it's not, not looking like it's going to happen in the next two, maybe even four years. Okay. So unless we find something else, it, it's, we've got to find a revenue source eventually. Looks like we're out of time. I do appreciate your time this morning, Representative. Thank you. Right, it's great talking to you. Thanks, but AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station on the phone. I believe I have Robin Bacanegra from Comia Shelter. Robin, did I get your last name right this time? Um, 
close. It's Bocanegra. Bocanegra. Okay. Robin, I do appreciate you calling in. The reason I contacted you for this segment, as, as I'm sure you're aware, is that Cheyenne Mayor Patrick Collins said he thinks it's time for a community conversation about um, transience in Cheyenne, and uh, I thought it might be appropriate time to revisit the whole subject. Of course, uh, at at Comia Shelter, you're uh, you're right on the uh, right right on the uh, where the rubber meets the road with this whole issue. First of all, how much how much of a homeless problem do we have in Cheyenne? Well, homeless is is one word, but it encompasses a number of different scenarios. Okay. So you have individuals who are situationally homeless, so they maybe have never experienced homelessness before, loss of a job, maybe a medical condition, um, something that set them back financially, and you know, once they have a place where they can start over, they work their way out of homelessness and they're back to being self-sufficient. Then you have those who are more chronic homeless, who have experienced homelessness multiple times or for a considerably long period of time. Um, and then you have those that choose homelessness because they don't want to own things. They don't want to have responsibility. They don't want to have to answer to anyone. You know, and, and amongst the chronic can be folks that have severe mental illness or substance abuse issues that make escaping homelessness very difficult. Have you seen an increase in homelessness with the COVID pandemic? Yes, um, but it's funny because the shelter is not as full. Really? Um, so Yeah. So last year, January and February, right before the pandemic hit, we had about 110 to 115 people on our bed sheet every night. And so right now we have about anywhere from 45 to 60, depending on the weather, the if there's a stimulus check coming, um, if, you know, unemployment is more lucrative um you know it it's getting a little better because we're being we're able to loosen up some of those restrictions but for a while we had to restrict the coming and going of our residents and a lot of folks didn't like that and so initially when the pandemic hit and we were told to lock down and and really severely restrict movement um, we saw a drastic number of people move out of the shelter and they just did not want to have to stay put. They are, you know, that kind of a personality that they're used to moving around. And so, you know, having to be locked into the facility was not happening for quite a few of them. And and I think you bring up an important point, and I've actually known a couple of homeless people who told me this themselves. There are people who prefer that lifestyle. Yes, they sure do. Like I said, they don't want to be held to bill paying or, you know, restrictions that responsibility can bring. They like the freedom. And so some of them do choose that. Some of them, you know, it's, they don't like shelter life because, you know, we are a sober shelter. And even for a person who is not an alcoholic, who just wants to go have a beer after work, when you live at a shelter, you can't do that. And so for some folks who don't have an addiction, they actually find that more um, unappealing than those who do. I think most people would generally assume that at least a majority of the homeless population, if not a huge majority, either have substance abuse issues or mental health issues. Is that a fair statement? Sure, especially amongst the chronic. Like I said, those that it's situational, you know, they're going to, you know, get healthy or whatever the situation is, find another job. They know how to be responsible with their money. They're going to get right back out there, and in a matter of time, they're going to be self-sufficient. But you're talking about the chronic homeless who continue to remain homeless 
for years and years, um, months and months, whatever, they definitely, you know, there's some um, untreated mental health, some pretty severe substance abuse. So, yeah, those are the ones that I believe the mayor was talking about and that we, you know, see as the most problematic in any, any community. How problematic are they? Do they cause a lot of crime? You know, um, that would be a, a question for the police department, but my guess is yes, because we do often have to call the police just because some of these folks are unruly. Um, if someone is severely intoxicated or high, you know, they're not going to follow rules. And if we politely say, hey, you need to leave, they may not cooperate. So I would say, you know, if someone is, is mentally ill, not everyone who's mentally ill is breaking the law, but... You know, if you aren't thinking rationally or you don't understand laws, then, you know, you're going to probably break them. But substance abuse is probably the bigger the bigger uh, cause of the criminal activity. AM 650 KGAB, you're listening to the Weekend in Wyoming program. I'm speaking with uh, Robin Bocanegra from Comia Shelter. By the way, if if we are taking phone calls at uh, 632-3323. We're talking about homelessness. If you have any questions or comments, uh, that line is open. Uh, Robin, as, as I'm sure you know, the mayor specifically made his comments concerning the uh, the, the parking shelter, or not the parking shelter, the parking garage downtown. How do we, and you may not know this, but I'll ask, is there a way to address that? Well, to provide another alternative, I guess, you know, when you inadvertently called it a shelter, in some regards, it, it sometimes is because folks who don't want to stay at the Camilla shelter will go down there and, you know, try and sleep in there where they can get in out of the wind. It's certainly not warm, but, you know, there was a time when they would break into the bathrooms and, and things like that just to have a place to stay. Um, so... So, yeah, it is problematic because, you know, without a better alternative, that's where they're going to go. So do we need to do we need to build another shelter? Is this a law enforcement issue? Is it an education issue or 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 do you have any thoughts on that? No, building another shelter just causes more expense because, you know, you've got all the overhead. So um, and we have open beds. That's not the problem. The problem is addressing the individual needs of the people. So. The community shelter right now is a dry, so, uh, sober campus, and that works great for people who want to be sober. Mm-hmm. But then when you have those that don't want to or maybe aren't yet able to, um, you know, that's not a great alternative for them. So, you know, we look at an individual, and unfortunately, we say, hey, as soon as you're sober, you can come and stay here. Well, it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes they need a place to stay so that they can get sober. Right. And so this this uh, spring, with the help of Shan Regional, we opened up our low barrier shelter which took in those individuals who were either under the influence or whose mental health prevented them from staying you know in the main shelter and we saw anywhere from three to 15 people a night um, it just really varied on the weather it varied on you know what time of the month it was if, if they had gotten a disability check or if like I said there was a stimulus check that had come out um, so you know different things contributed to how many people but that got us to thinking that some of these folks that need those low barrier um, environments then also need a longer term opportunity for housing. And so we wrote a grant to do low barrier transitional housing, which would allow these same individuals to live in a, a single room, a small apartment, something like that, ongoing. And that way, but, but they would not be expected to be sober to get the housing. You don't tie sobriety to the housing, you just give them the housing. 
And so that's what we're kind of looking at right now as an alternative. So those folks don't have to be under the bridges or in the parking garage or in the store, you know, the storefront, things like that. They would actually have a place to be all day, every day. Okay, to play devil's advocate here, I'm sure there are people listening who would say, but why reward them for not being sober? we we got to lay down the law to these people. What would you say? Well, that's not working. Okay. That's what we've been doing. And they're on the street. They are continuing to cause issues. And I'm certainly no expert, but what some communities will tell you, larger cities who have tried this, is oftentimes these folks are drinking because they don't see their situation improving. Mm-hmm. So if I'm drunk... I'm just going to pass out, maybe get through the day. As soon as I sober, start to sober up, I'll start drinking again. And because the idea of ever getting anywhere is too far removed for them. And so what they find is if they don't force the sobriety, but they take away the anxiety and the fear of where am I going to sleep tonight? Where am I going to get food? How am I going to be safe? That a lot of times these folks will maybe not get sober, but they'll certainly cut down on the amount of drinking. Mm-hmm. And... You know, the hope then is that you will lead them to sobriety, but it has to happen. You know, we all know you can't force someone to get sober unless they're incarcerated. Um, so the hope is you take away all of these fears because they do have this guaranteed roof over their head. They have the safety of a private room. They have a caseworker who's there to look after them. They have 24-hour supervision or security, um, and that at some point, you know, the drinking gets less and less. They call it harm reduction. You reduce the amount of harm the person is exposed to, and eventually they themselves are able to see that they can live a better life. So if you give people a little hope sometimes, that's very that's very positive, I guess. Right. You know, as, as much as I love Camille and how and the things we do and the people we're helping, it is hard to look at someone and say, go get sober and then come on back and we'll help you. Uh-huh. Because we all know it just doesn't work that way. You know, some people have the strength to do that. But there's a lot of folks that, especially in a homeless situation, they need the safety of a roof over their head and they need that person who's going to be there to help them get to that sober place. And you know, we refer our clients to Recover Wyoming and BHS, Peak Wellness, Volunteers of America. There's so many places that, you know, that we partner with, but we do the housing piece. And that puts you know, the pressure on us then to find an alternative for housing so that these folks can then come in contact with these services. I mean, if they're all over the place, it's pretty hard for Recover Wyoming to stay in regular contact if they never know from one day to the next where they're going to be living. And so giving them that stable place to be where the services can then go to them, we're pretty hopeful and pretty confident that we'll see some changes. And if nothing else, that person who's still drinking is off the street. They're not accosting shoppers. They're not panhandling. They're not doing those negative things that impact the rest of the community now you mentioned panhandling of course i I work in downtown cheyenne there's a fair number of of homeless people down here it's not unusual uh for people to ask you for money um and and some of them will say they need money for a meal some of them will flat out tell you i want to buy some booze Mm -hmm. um how should you respond to these situations well i've never been a fan of giving to panhandlers but i tell people that's an individual choice i can't tell you you know, how to feel about giving someone money for any reason. But, you know, if we're able to to develop this program that we want to do, I was talking to another organization that does the same thing, and I was surprised when they told me that they actually budget for alcohol. 
Really? So when you're putting this person into their, their sleeping room, you do allow a budget for alcohol. And I, at first I said, well, why in the world would you do that? But when he explained it, it made sense. If you put a person in an apartment and you're going to teach them how to budget, but you don't give them the money for booze, well, then they're going to just not pay their bills because right. you know that booze is the priority. So right. they're going to go buy the alcohol and not pay their bills. So if you allow them a budget and say, okay, you've got this much a week to spend on your alcohol, but you've got this safe room to stay in so you can sit in here and have your beer or your whiskey or whatever it is as long as you don't, you know, get violent or damage anything or, you know, whatever, um, then there's no reason to panhandle. They panhandle because they don't have any money. They panhandle because they fall short. They're trying to live in a motel that charges them $1,000 a month and their disability check is only 750 So they've got to make up that money for food and alcohol. If you, if we're housing them in a place that's affordable, a single room that we might charge 350 to $400 for, that leaves them another $300 for their alcohol, cigarettes. Um, you know, this program might provide food or they can learn to buy their own, but you're setting them up on a budget that's livable for them. And again, then there's no reason for them to go out into the community and panhandle and ask for help. They've got what they need. Of course, you do realize some people would say that's coddling these folks. Well, you got to start somewhere. Okay. And we've already tried tough love and, you know, people aren't, it's not getting any better. So I guess then my response to that person is, what's more important to you? Being firm with someone who you know has a disease called alcoholism you know, they might even have a mental illness on top of it. It's, it's not just somebody who's too lazy to stop. Mm-hmm. These are people who have really serious issues and have experienced trauma. And, you know, if it was that easy, they don't enjoy this. This is not an enjoyable lifestyle for the ones who are drinking and in that pretty negative, you know, environment. So the question is, pick one. Either be tough and let them live out on the street and watch them die and and you'll still have to put up with all the riffraff or put them into a program where there is a chance that they might get sober and get better. Now, Robin, as I recall, a a couple of years ago, the uh, Cheyenne Police Department, I think in conjunction with you folks, I could be wrong about this, had a program where they would approach homeless people on the street, talk to them, uh, try and get them some help and that sort of thing. Is that still ongoing? You know, it is. The police department does that, but we haven't been working with them so much. I mean, it's not as, as um, we don't have an outreach person right now that can go out with the police department. We actually are hiring someone um, or looking to, but um, the police department definitely is a valuable partner. We have a great relationship with them. So when they come across someone, they know enough about us and how we operate. They know my staff. Um, there's great communication. There's a sergeant on the police department that stops by to visit with me at least every other week. We'll just pop into my office, we'll sit down and talk about different individuals, different issues, concerns, you know, this is what's going on with this person or that person. And so we have great communication. And so um, I don't know how that could be any better. I'm really pleased with the support we get from the police department. Among the homeless population in general, is is it basically a, a pretty consistent population in Cheyenne? Do you see the same people all the time, or is it is it uh, new people in and out? Well, you do see a, a certain amount of the same people, but since COVID, uh, we are seeing a major increase in people coming from other states. And we had just started um, implementing a residential policy right before COVID 
where if someone wasn't from Cheyenne or from Wyoming, excuse me, um, and, and we were pretty loose, if you could just prove that you had ties to Wyoming. So if you had relatives here, maybe you'd lived here as a child and moved away and now came back, any kind of ties to Wyoming, you could get into our long-term programs. But if you just showed up here from another state, you had seven days and then you had to hit the road. The only way we would allow someone from out of state to stay longer is if they had they went through an appeal process. And that was just a way for us to find out how serious are they about becoming productive in Cheyenne. Are you just here to use up services and then after months you're gonna move on or are you really here because you wanna live here and relocate here? And we tried doing that and it was working really well, but then when COVID started, people were coming to Wyoming because our numbers were low. People started moving around just to try and be somewhere different, hope to find work or whatever. And it was almost impossible to continue doing that because if we turned them away, they weren't leaving town. They were, they were just on the street. Right. So that became very complicating, complicated for us. And it still is a bit of a challenge because we have to make sure everyone who's in the shelter is tested and is a negative you know, for COVID or is vaccinated. So um, Crossroads Clinic does offer that free of charge. So any new resident to the shelter can be tested Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, or they have the option of being vaccinated. So it's helped, but, you know, there's still always that period of time while you're in between. Robin, uh, if you spend much time downtown, as I, as I know you do and I do as well because I work down here, you'll see you'll see homeless people walking the streets. Um, oftentimes you'll see, well, I won't say often, but occasionally you'll see somebody yelling and ranting and raving um, on the streets. Uh, if you talk to the police department, they will tell you that in itself is not a crime. It's not a crime to act strangely. Do we need to be afraid of those people? I don't, I don't believe so. But then again, I wouldn't want to be responsible for telling someone, you know, misinformation. I'm not a, a psychiatrist or anything, but um, we have never, you know, had anyone be that, you know, violent in that way at the shelter. Um, you know, and I came from a state where it was much easier to get someone detained um, for either severe substance use or um, mental illness. In Wyoming, being, you know, a very um, equal rights state, it, it's much more difficult to infringe on someone's right to be mentally ill or right to be intoxicated, which is kind of a double-edged sword. Um, you know, we're not looking to lock them up, mm -hmm. but it would be nice if we could get them detained somewhere a little more easily so that they could be um, assessed by the professionals and determined what exactly they do need. But it is really difficult, like, you know, the police department will tell you. It's not against the law to be, be crazy or to be acting that way. And so sometimes there isn't a lot they can do. It is against the law to be publicly intoxicated, though, isn't it? Or am I wrong? Um, you know, I, I, I'm not, not really sure. sure about that. But I know that, you know, the jails right now, right. the county jail is, from what I was told, is not accepting everyone. And so even if an officer does arrest someone, the jail can turn them away. And so the police department is doing a lot less arresting and trying to do a lot more um, diversion type things, trying to find other options for these folks. That's why they were so excited when we opened up this low barrier shelter because they felt like they had some place they could at least bring them and get them off the street. But it doesn't do any good to go through the whole process of arresting someone only to have them you know, turned away at the jail. 
Robin, I, I've uh, been asking you questions for the last 20-some minutes. Is there anything you'd like to say on this subject to our listeners that we haven't covered? Well, you know, we were so excited to look into this low-barrier transitional housing. So we wrote a grant through one of the CARES um, programs, and we were awarded you know, $515,000, which is a huge amount of money for a, an organization the size of CAMIA. Um, but there were some very strict stipulations with that money. Um, the money has to be spent by the end of January of 22, so that only gives us about nine months. Um, we can't purchase a building. We can't renovate a building. We can only lease a building. Mm-hmm. And so it has to be non-congregate, which means people don't share rooms. They have to have private rooms. And we need to focus on these folks that need the low barrier services. So we came up with a program we thought would work, but the building we selected was bought by someone else before we could move forward. Now the challenge is finding a building that meets all the requirements that HUD or restrictions that HUD has attached to this money, but that is zoned in an area that will be approved by our planning and zoning department. And so, Um, You know, HUD will say, well, gosh, isn't there a motel you can use? Isn't there, um, you know, some apartments or, you know, some kind of a building, whatever? Well, yeah, we can find all kinds of buildings. But every time I check with the city, it's not zoned right. And because Comia is a homeless shelter, they they classify anything we do as a homeless shelter. Uh Well, what we're trying to do is actually provide rental units for these folks to live in but we still can't be in a residential neighborhood because we're because Comia is a shelter. And so it's becoming very frustrating that we can't, I mean, we could put 10 to 15 of these very challenging people under a roof, under 24-hour supervision, you know, where we could get them off the streets, but I'll be darned if we can find a place. And um, it's, it's, there's just, it's, the money's so restricted there's just no perfect scenario. So I, I have been told by the grant um, facilitator that I have until June 1st. And if I haven't secured a building by June 1st, they're going to take the money away. So you've got a month, basically. Half a million dollars. Wow. So if, if somebody has an idea, I'm sure you'd like to hear from them. Yeah, but make sure you check with zoning first because people have been sending me ideas and they're already places we've already looked at. Uh, so, um, you know, the city sent me a map. It's color-coded, but there's like... 30 different colors and the colors that we fit into are so small and so random all over the community that um, it's it's pretty hard to tell so I'm not quite sure like I said we found a perfect building now that is vacant the owner wants to lease it to us he's willing to sell it to us at the end of the lease it needs very little um, very little work done to it in order for people to move in um, and Again, I'm hitting that zoning roadblock. So I'm my approach now is to city to the city council and saying, Hey, can we just reclassify the kind of program we're trying to put in there instead of calling us a shelter? This is, you know, more like rental property or you know, we're we're finding, you know, space for this. Is it a group home? What does that look like? But is there a better way that we can there's gotta be something outside the box. I mean Robin, it's a pandemic, I, I, it's an emergency. I, I, I hate to interrupt. We are unfortunately out of time. I do appreciate your time this morning. Sure. Have a good one. Thanks. You too. 
AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. On the phone, I have Scott Fox from the CRMC Foundation. Good afternoon, Mr. Fox. Good afternoon, Doug. Thanks for having me. First of all, I know you've been on our show before, but maybe not everybody knows about the CRMC Foundation. What is the CRMC Foundation? Well, very simply, it's um, a 501c3 nonprofit organization that was created to support the Cheyenne Regional Medical Center to help people in our community donate and support um, the people that are providing their community health care. And uh, do you guys take donations if there's somebody out there that thinks, wow, that sounds good, I'd like to donate or that sort of thing? We absolutely do. Um, There's lots of different ways you can donate. One of the easiest is uh, to just visit our website, which is give, G-I-V-E, dot Cheyenne Regional dot org, O-R-G. Now, checking some of your upcoming events, and by the way, we do have an open phone line if anybody has any questions or comments at 632-3323. Uh, checking your upcoming events, we have Cinco de Mayo coming up on May 5th. I guess you guys have some things going on along with that. Is that right? We do. Um, we, we tried a, a couple of things a little bit differently this year, and for Cinco de Mayo, so this, this Wednesday, May 5th, we've created sort of a Mexican food and drink-themed basket that we're selling for $95 and we're only doing 125. Um, and the funds that we raise, 100% of those funds are going to purchase children's books for the Cheyenne Children's Clinic's program that's called Reading is Key. So you can get some great Mexican food, um, snacks, um, maybe some beverages, and at the same time support the youth in our community when they come in for their well child visits um, the, the doctors and nurses there give out these kids' books to help kids get involved with reading. And sometimes that's the first book that they ever get. Um, so it's a really great program. Each of these baskets, like I said, they're $95, will purchase about 19 or 20 books. And how can people buy these baskets? So, so they are available online at that give.cheyenneregional.org. I just checked. We have three remaining. Oh, wow. Um, out of the 125. So you better move um, on. Or they could call... <laughs> Or they could call our main office number, which is 307-633-7667. And if somebody doesn't answer, if they leave their name and phone number, we'll get back to them. Now, just looking at your events in general, I would assume you're still having to sort of deal with the COVID situation. Is that right? We are. Um, So like for this one, as an example, we're going to do a drive-up delivery of these baskets. So we we minimize the interaction with people. Um, We're having a a window of time on the 5th of May where they can swing through our office, which is right next to the main west campus of Cheyenne Regional on the corner of Evans and 23rd. But other things like our Denim and Diamonds annual gala, um, last year we did it totally virtual. This year we decided to adjust the date and we moved it it's normally in late june we moved it to november 19th mm-hmm. um, so that we hopefully have a really good safe in-person event at little america now again checking your upcoming events on may 15th you have the fourth annual crmc stroke symposium what is that so this is an opportunity where the foundation partners with the team at the hospital to put on an event and in this case this this stroke symposium because of the covid pandemic we're doing virtually via zoom but it's an opportunity for people to um, listen to 
personal testimonies of stroke survivors, listen to medical experts on topics like hypertension and, and how hypertension is related to stroke, um, atrial fibrillation, one of the, the key potential causes, and then also the concept of mental health as it surrounds stroke, um, especially in the, in the aftermath. So this is, um, people can register again at that same website. Um, they'll get a link that they can join for an hour and a half and listen to these experts and ask them questions. And one of the cool things is people always like to get something too. And with blood pressure being and hypertension being such a, a crucial measurement of how your, how your heart is doing, uh, we're going to give the first 50 registrants uh, a blood pressure cuff that they can use at home. Okay, I'm, I'm going to ask a question here I should probably know the answer to, and I'm embarrassed to admit I don't. What is hypertension? So hypertension is high blood pressure. Oh, they're, they're one and the same. Okay, I was not aware of that. They are. Okay. And they do have medications for that, and I know every time I go see my doctor, they, they check my blood pressure, and, and there are things they can do to treat that, right? Absolutely, and I, I'm the same way when I go to see my doctor, and you'll hear that during the, the symposium as well. You know, things like adjusting your diet, um, adjusting how much you exercise. Um, walking is one of the things that the, the cardiologists and the physicians will will always tell you that even walking um, of 20 minutes a day will really have a huge impact. I took that away from an event we had earlier in the year where Dr. Khan, one of our cardiologists, talked. You know, he likes to say, he tells people, 20 minutes a day for five days and take the weekend off. But that extra exercise or adjusting your nutrition can really help your hypertension or high blood pressure, and then they can measure it at home with this blood pressure cuff we're including. And I think salt intake is another thing a lot of people have to watch as well. Absolutely. Okay, uh, when we're talking about the uh, stroke symposium, do people need to register for that, or how does that work? They do. Um, we, we've kind of got a central registration page. If you go to that give.cheyenneregional.org, um, or call 307-633-7667. Um, we'll get them registered online. They can go ahead and put their information in. For the Stroke Symposium, there's a, a $10 registration fee, and that goes to help cover the cost of those blood pressure cuffs. Um, but we also have some sponsors that have helped as well. And I know with blood pressure and strokes, one thing that's a little devious about it is you don't necessarily feel badly if you have high blood pressure. You may not know the difference. It's something you need to get checked. Absolutely. And that's why we want to make sure and, and partner with the different parts of our, our, our clinical team across the health system to get the word out and to educate as many people as we can in the community. And that's one thing. When we talk about health care, I think sometimes people just think about what happens at the hospital after you're sick and the reality is healthcare starts before that and, and providing education awareness and and ways that people can help themselves or identify any concerns um, goes a long way to improving the health say of Cheyenne and Laramie County's amazing population it's also more cost-effective if you can do preventative care as opposed to addressing the issue afterwards Absolutely. We'd love to see um, uh, patients or, or the, our community friends, our neighbors, come in and see, get checked up in their annual checkup. And hopefully if there's something wrong, identify it early as opposed to wait till it becomes a, a, a crisis and they have to be seen in the emergency room. Okay, I'm speaking with uh, Scott. So start watching America's fastest growing cable news channel because Newsmax is real news for real people.
dear vet ticks. It was nice to spend the night with my daughter and other veterans. It's so humbling to attend an event when you feel appreciated. I had a wonderful time with my family. Thank you for the memories, vet ticks. Dear vet ticks, thank you for a great experience and for your support of the military and veterans. Thank you so much, vet ticks. Our family has gone through a lot the last few years, and this gave us a nice break. Every empty seat at a concert, game, or special event is a missed opportunity to say thank you to a veteran or a service member. By giving your extra tickets to VetTix, you'll help America's heroes reduce stress, strengthen family bonds, and create a truly happy memory that will last a lifetime. So when you really want to say thank you for your service, give the experience, give the memory. VetTix, give something to those who gave. For more information on how you can make a difference, go to vettix.org. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. On the phone, I have Scott Fox from the CRMC Foundation. If you have any questions or comments, we do have an open phone line at 632-3323. Scott, the CRMC Foundation also has some other upcoming events, including the Foundation Golf Classic. What's up with that? Well, Doug, we every year we've had this this uh, golf tournament. Last year was the biggest ever, even with the precautions we took for for COVID. Uh, we play every fall in September out at the Cheyenne Country Club. We bring people from all across the community, um, sponsors and and people who are just into golf and want to support a good cause. Uh, that's going to be on September 10th this year, Friday, September 10th. And the funds from that go to what we would call our annual campaign that our gala later in the year also supports. And that's the Cheyenne Regional Intensive Care Unit renovation. So we're going to be renovating the ICU and that golf tournament. All the funds raised from that are going to support that. Now, I would assume that's a pretty expensive project. Am I right? It is. And we what we do at the foundation is we give the community the opportunity to help and participate and support that project um, at whatever level they want to. So usually our, our participation in these bigger projects, the, the hospitals covering the, the construction costs, we're usually purchasing equipment and things that go in the different rooms and the, and the clinical workspaces. Why, why do we need a renovation if you know, and I know you're not a doctor, but I'll just toss that out there. <laughs> oh, I, I appreciate the question. Um, and you're right, I am not a doctor and I'm not giving any medical advice. Um, but the, the, our hospital's been built and modified over the years. And right now, uh, our intensive care unit, as well as some other parts, are in one of the older parts of our building. And the, the Cheyenne Regional, about two years ago, or actually three years ago now, set off on a master facility plan to make improvements using um, internal capital. So as a not-for-profit hospital, when we, when we have funds that we can we take and fund that move that back into improving uh, the facilities and the care we provide and in this stair-step fashion there's a series of projects that will free up space that allow it to be renovated and the ICU is one of those a couple years ago we started at the foundation and supported the first part of that in the west campus and that was um, preparing to renovate the mother baby unit which thankfully following the COVID pandemic we're looking at getting started sometime in the middle of this year. It was supposed to start last year, but the, the hospital had to put those contracts on hold. That's gonna happen this year, and when the mother-baby unit moves into its new space, 
the ICU will have a new area that they'll renovate. It'll make sure that all the rooms are private. It will be, it's designed that we've had the opportunity for the people who do know, the nurses, uh, the technicians, the physician got to come in and look at what the, a mock-up of the room and say, this is where we want this and this is where we want these connections. So it's gonna take something that's really good now um, and that's the, the, the care provided by our team and give them an even better space to provide that in. The other thing about space in a hospital is you have to keep in mind not just the patients and the staff, but also their family members and loved ones. So you take into account, do we have space where they can be there with their loved one um, when they're being treated? Well, what's the time frame for the renovation, if we know at this point? Uh, I, I, I couldn't really get into a time on the ICU project because it's going to follow the mother baby unit. Ah, okay. Like I said, the mother baby unit um, renovation is going to start hopefully this this summer and that'll probably take about a year and the icu as soon as one moves out the next project can start so it's a long-term project it is absolutely just in general and i think this brings up an important point is the covid pandemic has that first of all twofold question has it increased the need for what you folks do and and b has it uh has it impacted the donations that you get um I think the, the answer to your first question, has it impacted, is, it, is an obvious yes. And if you would have asked me a year ago as we were starting out what that impact would be, I don't think I would have been able to foresee how it impacted because in some cases it caused us to adjust and change. You know, from a fundraising perspective, we went more virtual. We, we couldn't bring large groups of people together. We had to think about what was going on. But in other cases, um, like preparing for this multi-year fundraising campaign for the ICU, which the golf tournament and then our gala denim and diamonds are supporting. Last January and February, before the pandemic, we were talking about how would we help inform the community of the importance that an ICU provides to the people that need that critical care. I think that's another impact of the pandemic is people have now seen in a much more visible way how the, the true healthcare heroes working up there are taking care of people and more people unfortunately have been impacted and needed that critical care. So that's another impact. Um, as far as donations go, uh, the foundation and, and as a result, the, the Cheyenne Regional Health System benefited last year from one of the best years we've ever had. Um, and I was talking to another nonprofit director this past week and I think we, we kind of agree, people really do passionately want to support different causes. Some want to support the hospital, some want to support the library, some want to support um, organizations that take care of animals. I don't think that changes during a pandemic. And we saw that. We saw continued small donations and we saw continued large estate donations. It really has been um, very humbling. Now, back to your schedule of events. On September 11th, you have the Great Bison Shuffle. What's that? So we're going to go out to Terry Bison Ranch again on Saturday morning, uh, right after the golf tournament. Uh, we've done this the last couple of years, and while it seems kind of packed, people seem to like it. And this is our version of the, the local run. Some people do a 5K. We have a, a, a series of runs that we run out there on the trails at Terry Bison Ranch, um, including, as of last year, a half marathon. So we have a half marathon, a 10K a 5K run and a 2K run. We even let the kids come out and have a kid's run. Um, 
all of the the funds raised for that and we just put the registration live a couple days ago on our website um those funds are going to go to support the emergency department at cheyenne regional and specifically they're going to help pay for scholarships to get new employees trained to become emergency medical technicians or emts so it's a great morning it's beautiful out on terry bison ranch there's not a lot of places where you're your Saturday morning run can cross from Wyoming into Colorado and back into Wyoming as you're running next to a herd of bison. Now, to the point, the bison aren't on the track. They're behind fences. <laughs> That's a good thing. Um, you have the Dem- Denim, if I could talk here, the Denim and Diamonds event. You touched on this earlier. It's It's your typical big fundraiser. Is that right? It is. And that's coming and up. We've been doing Denim and Diamonds since 1990. And unfortunately, last year, because of the pandemic, we went to an entire virtual format, and we did that in November because we weren't really sure what was happening. This year, our board and staff got together and talked early on and said, let's pick a time later in the year that's available where we can plan for an in-person event. Now, we'll make sure, especially at that time, see what the, the, the climate from a health perspective is and adjust if we need to. But we have a date on Friday, November 19th, where hopefully we'll be able to get six, seven, up to 800 people together um, in the way we have in the past to come in and have a good time, enjoy themselves together in person, and again, support that ICU renovation project. No, I've never attended one of these. I would sort of assume from the name that it's anything from pretty casual to pretty formal, whatever you feel like doing. Is that right? It kind of is. We always have a theme. I mean, the, the name Denim and Diamonds is what shaped those themes over the year. This year's theme, as it was going to be last year, is celebrating the wild, wild west. Uh-huh. And so we're picturing a little bit of, of western flair to that Denim to Diamonds spectrum. Now, how can people get tickets for this event? So we haven't put tickets up on our registration page yet, but if they're interested, they can call us at the foundation. Again, that number is 307 307- Six three three seven six six seven, and we can talk to them about sponsorships. We we have table sponsorships at varying levels, and we have different opportunities to participate, and even down to individual ticket sales. Now we do have a few minutes left, so I'll mention a couple of other things that you do have coming up. Nurses Week, in fact, Nurses Week comes up starting Monday. Is that right? It is. Nurses Week is. Uh, we're celebrating here May third to eighth. Um, and it really, I've been at the foundation for just under six years and the amazing nurses that make up this team at Cheyenne Regional and all the clinics and the different parts of the hospital are unbelievable. Uh, they do all kinds of things uh, from, from taking care of patients, which is what you think of, to being the administrators of, of huge sections of, of the hospital. And this is the chance we get to rep, rep, recognize the amazing thing that nurses do not just here but across our community and across the country well if there was ever a time when we should have learned to appreciate nurses i would say the past year would be it uh we also absolutely we also have hospital week coming up that's may 10th through the 15th what is that so so hospital week is is a separate celebration and and we we've adjusted the time so we we give you know because i think they actually may overlap a little bit but here at Cheyenne Regional, we're separate, celebrating them separately so we can give both the specific to the nurses and then the broad hospital that, that opportunity to kind of have some different things going on. We have a, 
a group of people from across the different departments of the hospital called the Employee Advisory Board that has a committee putting this this week-long event together. It includes a food truck rally on on several of the days where employees can go out and get meals from some local food trucks. We have some pet therapy. I'm pretty sure there's puppies and, and kittens coming in where people can you know hang out with them out on the the, the lawn. Uh, we have a bunch of different recognition opportunities and engagement. There's raffles for employees. It's really the way the hospital administration leadership can say, hey, thank you for what you're doing, and let's have a little bit of fun while we do that. A little pet therapy for us animal lovers. That's pretty cool. So there, there's a lot of things that go into healthcare, and, and you know, just helping from your from your own personal mental health is a good thing. Scott, we have just a couple minutes left. Is there anything you'd like to tell our listeners that we haven't talked about? Well, I, first, I'd like to thank everybody that supports um, our amazing healthcare team here through donations, through our foundation. We we always uh, find that it's overwhelming from small donations to large. Everything helps. A hundred percent of each donation goes straight to the, the the area or the project they want it to, and the foundations is actually in having this community engagement. So we're blessed with an amazing and generous and giving community. So I wanted to say thank you. And I, we've talked about the pandemic a few times. I also want to really um, make sure that everyone knows that everyone over 16 right now in the state of Wyoming is eligible to be vaccinated. Um, there's a few instances where your, your personal physician may say, hey, you might not want to do this, but um, we really encourage everyone to take that step to help themselves, to protect themselves, to protect the people around them, um, and get vaccinated. At Cheyenne Regional, uh, you can call and if you're a patient already, you can call and schedule at 307-432-5037. And the Cheyenne and Laramie County Health Department has a great website that gives you lists of all the places in town that you can get vaccines and how to schedule. So we really encourage that. And it is Thank free. you for having me on. It is free, by the way, to get vaccinated. So, Absolutely. Scott, I appreciate your time here this morning. Any, any absolute last thoughts for our listeners? Well, I, I think everybody needs to go out and have an awesome day in this beautiful weekend. The weather's just gorgeous. Scott, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. The other side of the bottom of the hour news and information break, we'll hear from Catherine Wisner on the 4-H program, some things they have going on. Uh, we do have a news and information break coming up here just ahead, and that'll be starting at about 1131, going to about 1133. Enjoy the nice day today, as he alluded to. Uh, that is going to change somewhat even tomorrow, maybe a little more towards Monday and Tuesday. If you uh, go to our website at kgab.com, uh, you will see information that says they are expecting a slightly warmer than usual May coming up. Today, of course, is the 1st of May. And when I spoke to uh, meteorologist Don Day about a week ago or so, he said that uh, May will be critical for us in one respect, and that is we need a wet May to avoid a continuing drought situation. So even though the nice weather is enjoyable, uh, we certainly can't complain too much about getting a little rain because, yes, we do need it. May is typically our wettest month, according to what Don Day told me. And uh, it's, it's very important if we don't get a wet May, we could see continuing drought circumstances 
prices right up until next year. Doesn't seem possible with that big storm we had in, in March with all that snow we got, but uh, surprisingly on the balance, we're still uh, still not really where we need to be to snap out of the drought. In any case, you're in tune with Weekend in Wyoming, AM 650 KGAB. Like I said, the bottom of the hour information break. The other side, we'll hear from Catherine Wisner about the 4-H program in Laramie County. That's coming up just ahead. In the meantime, you're in tune with Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station, AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne Orchard Valley. It's 1231. Back to a moment here on AM 650 KGAB. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. On the phone, I believe I have Catherine Wisner. Good afternoon, Catherine. Yeah, good afternoon, Doug. Now, and thanks for having me on. Absolutely. You're here to talk about the 4-H program in Laramie County. So what do you folks have going on these days? Well, actually, <laughs> I, I'm really not on to talk about the 4-H program. That's um, that's a Christy and, and Dawn event. So I, I don't mean to kind of change tacks or directions on you, but being a horticulturist, that's kind of more my area is plants and okay. vegetable gardens and trees and shrubs and lawns. Okay, she she sort of. I I guess we had a miscommunication. I sort of understood you were here to talk about 4-H, but let's talk about trees and lawns. What do you have to, to tell us today? Okay, well, as long as you don't mind us switching tacks here, because unfortunately, I um, they the 4-H just got done doing their months of the military child program, and they had a big to do on Thursday, and so they're kind of switching gears themselves, and they're trying to actually, believe it or not, get ready for Laramie County Fair. Oh, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> but, uh, again, as a horticulturist, my, my lean is definitely towards helping people grow successfully here in Laramie County, and that's actually really important to me, and I would like to help people not make classic mistakes. And with the weather as beautiful as it is a lot of people are out in the gardens and i talked with some master gardeners today and uh, they're already out there rototilling their garden and trying to get ready for vegetables and and uh, hopefully a bountiful vegetable garden this year but i would i would like to toss some words of caution out there and do some myth busting okay and again i really urge people to avoid putting manures in their vegetable garden and manures can be, you know, sheep in a bag, cow in a bag, mushroom compost. I really encourage people not to use those. You don't know how much salt is in there, and those products are very, very salty. And I know that sounds kind of odd. Why would you put salt in compost? But any manures are always going to be very salty, and it has everything to do with what the animal eats, how it's processed, and then, you know, course manure is what comes out the back end right mm -hmm. and so that's going to be a high concentration of salt and anything else that animal has been fed so I encourage people to avoid that because you don't want to make your soil toxic and not be able to grow anything so encourage people to just use peat moss grass clippings those are the two best things to use. Leaves, pine needles, all those are just awesome to be putting into your vegetable garden. They really help improve the organic material. They make a much more uh, soil that can grow things in there a whole lot better. 
They put a lot of nutrients back in, especially leaves off trees and pine needles. They put a lot of nutrients back into the soil. So that's my soapbox. I'm going to tell people not to use any sort of manure or bag or otherwise or out of a corral. And the um, kind of on that, that note of doing a vegetable garden, as a lot of hopefully listeners have heard, that our first lady is promoting a fight hunger campaign. Mm-hmm. And so she's asking people to grow an extra row of vegetables or share their bounty. And one of the things that the extension office is doing is we're offering a package of seeds to someone who wants to grow a little extra. Once they grow that, whether it's spinach or lettuce or green beans or some winter squash, carrots, they can then bring that product back to the extension office, and we're out at Laramie County Community College, right. on the fourth floor of the Pathfinder building, and so can bring their extra produce to us. We'll we'll weigh it, and then we'll get it um, to the places that need it the most. So okay. that's that's our current. And and again, we are offering free seeds, so people are welcome to come to the office and pick up a package of free seeds. And that's going on right now, then, or. Yes. And how long, well, how long will that continue? Well, ho- hopefully the next couple of weeks. Really, the best time to start your vegetable garden is right around Memorial Weekend. And that way we're hopefully safely out of that. It might snow or might get cold zone. Mm-hmm. And so you can start things that, uh, that hopefully will be successful this year. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. And I'm speaking with uh, Catherine Wisner from the University of Wyoming Cooperative Extension Service. Uh, Catherine, you also wanted to talk about the uh, Grow a Little, uh, the Grow a Little Extra program. What is that? And it was an initiative brought on by the First Lady, and it's, it's trying to combat hunger. And so the idea is to share what you grow in your vegetable garden and so that other people who maybe can't grow in a vegetable garden or who are you know, financially less fortunate can also enjoy fresh, fresh vegetables right out of a garden. So it's, uh, it's, to help, it's to help people in the community. And how does that all work then? Is that underway now or, or how do people take part in it? Well, right now you can come to the extension office. Again, we're at Laramie County Community College in the Pathfinder building. You can get free seeds, free vegetable garden seeds. And all we ask is that you bring some of that produce back to us in the extension office, and then we distribute it to those who need it. So it's, it's pretty easy. We're, we're, not, we're not asking for a lot, just a little bit out of your garden and so that we can help others who are less fortunate. Catherine, is this a new program or is this something you've done before? Well, it's, it's something we've been doing, but I think for the first time that, you know, we now have, you know, Wyoming's first lady backing this up and saying, hey, we need to fight hunger and, and her, her Let's Fight Hunger initiative. And working with the University of Wyoming and extension offices across the state. Every county is doing this, not just Laramie County. So everybody is involved in it, whether you're in Laramie County or Goshen or, or Platte or Crook County or Weston, you know, we're all, we're all doing this. 
Okay, again, I'm speaking with uh, Catherine Wisner from the UW Cooperative Extension. Back with more right after these words. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. You're in tune with the Weekend in Wyoming program. I'm speaking with Catherine Wisner from the UW Cooperative Extension Service. Catherine, I, I think this is a topic we've discussed before. Maybe I discussed it with Mike Heath. I don't recall. But you'd like to tell people, don't don't mow the prairie. Is that right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> this time of the year, especially from from March until until the middle of July, we have a whole bunch of ground nesting birds, native ground nesting birds in Wyoming, that are out there trying to put a nest together trying to raise babies and if you mow the prairie now you're just going to well you're just going to run them over with the lawnmower and a lot of people tell me well i don't see anything out there well you're not meant to see these birds or their eggs because they're so well camouflaged the the kill deer a ground nesting bird her eggs look like little rocks and they just camouflage right into the soil and they're meant to be camouflaged so that a predator doesn't come by and eat them. Also, the grass is trying to grow. It's trying to put on a seed head. It, and usually by the middle of May, depending upon how much moisture we have, when you look at the prairie in the middle of May, what you see is what we're going to get for the rest of the year. So if it's only three or four inches tall, that's it. Don't mow it. You're just going to make the prairie hotter and drier. You're going to invite more weeds, more snakes. You're going to get prairie dogs. You're going to get more rodents. And so mowing the prairie is really devastating to it, and it just brings in a whole bunch of really bad things that you don't want. And no one wants more snakes on their property, and you don't want more bunnies, and you certainly don't want prairie dogs. So mowing the prairie is, is just brings in so much bad and you lose all the good and so you you mow off the grass seed heads and you mow off the flower heads and so you end up with a prairie that doesn't really bloom and it's it again it's just hotter and drier so it, it's a really difficult thing to get around and get over i've talked with a number of people already this year on how to restore the prairie how to bring it back to what it was and that is a long, hard road to restore your prairie because it all depends upon how much moisture we get out of the sky. And if I'm hoping Don Day's prediction isn't true, I hope we don't go back into a severe drought. It kind of looks like we might. I hope we don't. But if that's the case, then trying to restore a prairie is you, you can't do it when we're in a drought. It just makes things a lot more difficult, and no one wants to have hotter and drier environment. Um, it's not optimal. Catherine, if you know, and I don't know if this is something you've been tracking, but how bad is our drought situation right now here locally? Are we in a bad situation or not? Well, right now, and according to the drought monitor, we're, we're abnormally dry. Right. Other areas in the state of Wyoming are starting to go into an extreme drought and so the whole the whole western united states really is in a drought status right now the four corners area is in an exceptional drought which is as bad as it gets and and so we we need to be careful with how we treat the prairie and how we treat our environment so how, how do we need to treat it right now while this is going on what precautions do we need to take 
oh, don't mow. Don't mow. <laughs> Number one thing, don't mow. Yeah. I, and I know that's so hard because, you know, the urban myth is that if you don't mow, it's a fire hazard. And so that really scares people, and justifiably so. But when you mow it, you make it hotter and drier, and then it really does become a fire hazard. Mm-hmm. You you get more weeds in, you get more cheat grass in, you get a whole bunch of undesirable things that are truly quite flammable. Mm-hmm. So caution is, is always to, <laughs> the way to go with that. If, and if you're in doubt about what to do, you can call me at the extension office at 633-4383. I do yard calls. I have master gardeners who do yard calls. And then there's always the conservation district, and they also go out and, and look at your prairie and, and help you make it better. So there's there's help out there for people who want to restore the prairie or want to do the right thing. At this point, do we already need to be cautious about fire with the with the conditions the way they are? And I realize you're not a firefighter, but you may know a little bit about this. Yeah, absolutely. And and if we go into you know having eighty degree days or close to eighty degrees is really is really difficult. So we do have to be careful. And and I encourage people to mow along their fence line because that's a a lot of times that's where weeds like to accumulate, especially Russian thistle or tumbleweeds. Or your neighbor's horse likes to lean on your fence and eat your grass because they've grazed all theirs down to nothing. Mm -hmm. So mow along your fence line. Mow around your house. By all means, you know, I mean, grounds beautification is always important. And and so mowing around the house and your outbuildings is important to do. Why, why, are, why are people so locked into this idea of mowing? Is it mostly an aesthetic thing? Is it the idea that if you don't do it, you're being derelict in your duty or what? I, I, think, you're, I think you're right on that, Doug. And I run into a lot of people who think the prairie should be all one level. The grass should all be one level, which is low. I've run into people who want it to look like a golf course. Mm-hmm. That is never going to happen in Wyoming. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then there's just this... I've lived in town all my life. Now I'm out here. I've always mowed, and so I'm going to continue to always mow. And then, of course, they bring the urban myth with them. Right. So there's still the idea we've got to manage this, and maybe sometimes that means overmanaging. Yes. And sometimes the best thing to do is just watch it grow. Just enjoy it. Enjoy the birds out there. Meadowlarks are state bird. That is a ground-nesting bird. They form, they need the tall grass to, to, to build their nest in. You know, don't mow. You know, if you like the birds, don't mow. Catherine, you know, especially we, ha- native ones. we have a few minutes yet, so I'll just ask a couple of questions. And, I, you know, if, if, if you don't know the answer, that's fine. We just have a few minutes to kill. You mentioned rabbits. It seems like we've been seeing more bunnies the last few years. Am I right about that or not? So a number of years ago, about five years ago, we... We had a situation where mange, which is actually really rare, but mange ran through the coyote and the fox population, and it killed them off. Oh, wow. So we lost a lot of our really um, important predators, especially our foxes. Uh-huh. So the rabbit population just got out of control, like, overnight. The population exploded. And then we had a couple of years where we had a lot of rain and a lot of grass, a lot of stuff for the rabbits to eat. 2019 was a wet year, so there was a lot of, a lot of forage, a lot of stuff for the little bunnies to eat. 
Uh-huh. And again, their population just continued to grow, but the fox population hasn't really rebounded. And a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people look at them as, you know, oh, it's vermin, and so I've got to kill the fox. Well, you've just killed the good guy. And that fox is really important in our environment because the fox keeps the rabbit population down. They help keep the snake population down. They'll eat insects. They eat a lot of rodents. So the fox population is, is really critical. And then, um, according to Audubon Society, we're starting to see fewer and fewer birds. And so that's also creating another whole problem. And that, um, you know, I see fewer hawks. And the hawks also take bunnies out. Again, you're not a bird expert, but I'll ask, have you noticed the decline in birds around here yourself? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I see fewer meadow larks. I see uh, fewer killdeers. I see fewer lark buntings. Do we so know? I, I see a lot fewer of those. And speaking of rabbits, I'm here calling you from my office at LCCC at Laramie County Community College, and I am watching four cottontail rabbits run around on the grass having a good old time. <laughs> and. <laughs> And again, we're just we we've lost a lot of our habitat. We've lost a lot of the foxes. We they don't have any native any predators, so it's really hard to keep them in check. And I get people that call me on them all the time, and and I really don't have a great answer for anybody on them. You can try to trap them, take them out to the prairie. You can. I mean, there's just not a lot of good answers for how to control the rabbit population, uh, dogs, cats, foxes, but they need they need their predators back in order to control the population. Will the fox population presumably rebound at some point or not? I hope so. I think it will. I, I'm, I'm certainly hopeful on that one. Well, Miss, yep. go ahead. I, I have one other thing on my list, my agenda, and that is the Laramie County Master Gardener plant sale. Oh, right, right. That is coming up a week from today. There will be everything under the sun there, annuals, perennials, vegetables. There will be trees, and it will be out at Archer at the, I call it the multi-purpose building. Some people call it the event center. Mm-hmm. And that'll be next Saturday from 8 a.m. to 4. Shop early. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, I think I have either you or Mike Heath on about that next week, if I'm not mistaken. So. Yeah, I think Mike, Mike will be on next Saturday talking about it as it's happening. Now, you may have mentioned this, but I didn't catch it. When does that start? 8 o'clock. So it's a one-day event? or One-day once a year. Ah, so it's a uh, oh, yeah. big deal. Uh, get it now or miss out on it. Totally. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Catherine, uh, just in general, you know, we've got a couple minutes to kill, so I'll just toss this out there. What are the biggest mistakes people make when they, when they plant their garden, when they grow this time of year? Is it too early to plant, first of all? Well, there are some cool season vegetables that you can plant now. You can certainly get things like peas in, your snow peas, your sugar snap peas. You can plant, I, I plant leeks and onions, my spinach, my, I plant carrots now. You can plant broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage. So there are quite um, a few, plant, there are quite hmm? a few, there are quite a few things you can plant already then. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, potatoes could go in now. So there's a lot of stuff that you can plant now that will tolerate getting snowed on. They'll tolerate the weather that's coming up. And, and you get a bit of a jump on the season. So there, you have a lot of opportunities right now. But, but again, the biggest mistake people make is putting too much manure in their vegetable garden. And all I can, my, my advice is don't grow your food in poo. <laughs> or we could use another word, but we won't. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think people get it when I say poo. I think don't they, grow I, your food in poo. I think they do. Yes, they do. <laughs> Catherine, I uh, appreciate you calling in today. We're just about out of time for this morning. Again, reiterating the big point here is uh, don't mow the prairie. Don't mow the prairie. And uh, as as far as some of the other things, uh, we hope the drought's coming to an end. We don't know, but it's not too early to be careful with anything that might start a fire. Um, and uh, also, I guess the other thing to come out of this interview: predators serve a purpose. Foxes and coyotes they they they're not all bad. They're not all bad. Nope. Mm-mm. Okay, Catherine, appreciate you calling in this week. Thank you very much. All right, you have a good weekend. Bye. Ta- talk to you later. AM 650 KGAB, we're down to about a minute left. I appreciate you being along here with us on this uh, Wednesday. Wednesday. I've got five things going on at once. I'm thinking about some events coming up this week. It's Saturday. I know that. (laughs) Thank you for being with us this Saturday. We do appreciate it. Uh, Enjoy the nice day today. It's, uh, it's, it's going to be changing here starting tomorrow, which is Sunday. And uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we could see some inclement weather. Mostly Monday and Tuesday is what they're saying. Uh, I don't know about Wednesday. We could still see some snow. Now, if you go to our website at kgab.com, uh, you know that uh, we are expecting a warmer-than-usual May. Uh, Don Day, our meteorologist, did tell us that we hope for a wetter-than-usual May. It's not certain that will happen. If it doesn't happen, we may have a very dry remainder of the year. We're in a drought situation right now. That drought could be worse if we don't get an above-average May. May, by the way, is typically our wettest month of the year. I did not know that until I spoke to Don. I would have guessed February. In fact, actually, it's May. In any case, have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. We do appreciate you, and we'll be back next week right here on AM 650 KGAB with Cheyenne's number one news talk radio station. It's the Weekend in Wyoming program. AM 650 KGAB, Cheyenne Orchard Valley. It's 1 o'clock. Thank you for joining us. A Town Square Media of Southeast Wyoming podcast. Find more of our shows at kgab.com backslash podcasts.